Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. If you were here for the first time, welcome, and make sure you hit that subscribe button, like, comment, all the things to help us grow. At one point, we were the number two wrestling podcast in the whole country of Turkey, and Fred and I love our poultry, so just something to keep in mind there. <laughs> Jesus. As I said, uh, Fred Moreland is my co-host, and Fred... We have some very fun things to talk about today. And the one thing I want to start off with is how great is Fight Forever? Uh, you know, I like it quite a bit. We've been, uh, I think we've both been playing it a fair bit. Uh, I have completed, how much have you done? Okay, so I did a few singles matches. Um, I So I looked at the da- the challenges, which I really, really liked. It reminds me a lot of like Call of Duty. And where like, oh, you do X and then you get like points or experience. Well, here you get AEW dollars. So you can buy stuff for like customization. And I saw, mm-hmm. oh, you have to buy Cody Rhodes. Okay. Well, like three matches with Lance Archer and I had enough to buy Cody and Aubrey Edwards. So that was quick and easy. Uh, but I, I think it's fun. Um, it, it's a very arcadey feel. But in the in being an arcade feel, it doesn't feel like you're being given anything. It doesn't feel unrealistic either. Like even the arcadey elements, you've seen people do some of this stuff. And I saw a clip where Jeff Hardy jumped across the ring onto another ladder. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. We've seen people do that like multiple times. So even though that's an arcade style, it doesn't feel like unrealistic. And I'm still trying to get the, uh, like the, the little things, down like yeah i'm trying to like tag matches i'm struggling with because i'm trying to irish whip him into the corner to tag in my partner and just beat up the guy like a southern style tag team but it's fun i'm i'm through about a month on road to elite with eddie kingston <laughs> i did eddie too yeah oh he, he just feels like kind of like that neutral character like you can go really far with him like and you can get him to a point where he can be like a top top guy but he's not starting as a top, top guy. So you feel like you actually have to work with it. And that it was funny because we, uh, I got paired up with Hangman Adam Page. And we lost a tag match to Sting and Paul White. Yeah. I think yeah, the exact same rough. thing happened to me too. Pretty pretty rough. Well, I, I didn't realize that uh, um, my guy was being pinned because I was being distracted by my dog. And <laughs> all of a sudden Sting is pinning Adam Page. I'm like, oh, shit. And that was the end of it. 
No, yeah. Really fun. yeah, I like the gameplay quite a bit. I, you know, there's obviously some criticisms to lob at it. First of all, the uh, the creation suite is uh, pretty damn weak. Um, I'm hoping that that's something that they will buff, and you know, over the next few months, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I mean, I, I actually played around with it a little bit to try to make just a ridiculous character, and there are very few options for your guy um, or gal. Uh, like they don't even have the option to put like designs on trunks or anything. So it's really bare bones, uh, which is a shame. Um, but it's easy to do at the same time. So that's nice. But like everyone, if you're trying to, you know, make a knockoff of, or like a, a character based off of or recreation of insert of, you know, wrestler here, uh, it's going to be very, uh, very bare bones. Uh, there's not going to be an option to like give guys designs on their trunks or whatever that they have all the time or special tattoos or anything. Uh, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, and you know, that's probably one of the things that you should not carry over from, uh, from no mercy, which they are obviously trying that they're very inspired by. Uh, so, you know, to turn around and in the year of our Lord, 2023, have no way of sharing, you know, CAWs uh, with anyone else is, you know, crazy, really. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's a that's a shortcoming. I hope that they will address that at some point. Uh, but I think a bigger issue is that there's no roadmap for the development of the game, like moving forward. And you could argue that they're maybe making sure that the game itself is not a flop, which sure, fine. Uh, but I mean, it's pretty commonplace in the video game industry, for better or worse, for a new title to come out and have like established, you know, this is what we're going to be doing over the next six months. And uh, AEW has nothing, so you don't know what they're planning on releasing, if anything, if they're going to be releasing any free characters in the future or any kind of updates to the roster so you can like, you know, uh, change things up and make MJF, you know, less pinnacle era and more, you know, 2023 solo era, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and, you know, the the opaqueness with that is unfortunate. Uh, and speaking of opaqueness, I do like the gameplay in general, but there mm -hmm. are some aspects of it where it's really hard to tell, like, what exactly, if, if you're doing anything that has any impact. Um I, I think specifically, like, like when you're getting pinned or in a submission hold, there's no visual representation of if you're about to kick out or anything. So you're mashing buttons, and you just don't know what's going on. Uh, I think I it actually... Like will... I, I, I can see that, too, though. I can see the positive of it. But at the same time, like, it's frustrating. One thing that really does bother me with the gameplay is when you're knocked down and you've been taking some damage for a while and your character will just lie on the mat for like 20 minutes. It feels like. Um, yeah. Well, I, I had that in the casino battle Royal, but uh, one thing I liked about that is it, it, you kind of take the casino battle Royal in a different element where guys are hitting their finishers almost immediately. Yeah. And it, it's much more of a, combative environment versus like a, a regular standard singles match. So I kind of liked that. Like my guy, when I was playing in Kingston, he stayed on the ground longer. I thought that was a really nice touch because yeah. it's just such an inherently different environment than a standard singles match. Maybe that's a me thing. And I, I, I think I, it's, no, okay, oh, I'm sorry. 
Oh, I, I've noticed that a little bit in like regular singles matches where they're down a little bit. One thing I, I haven't quite grasped is what buttons do I press to get up? Like, or do yeah, I, I don't know about that either. That's the frustrating part because when you take that damage and you're down for a while, uh, you're mashing buttons because I don't know what the hell else to be doing um, to get up. And there's no indication whatsoever if, if it's working or if you're just like trying to destroy your joints. Um, and so that, that lack of feedback, I think, is a real unfortunate thing. Uh, I think it's kind of frustrating. And also when you're in like a, a three or four man match um, and you uh, you get put in that state like it is incredibly frustrating to have your guy just on the ground you're mashing buttons with no indication on if that's actually doing anything or not while you know the two cpu competitors are trying to finish each other off um Mm -hmm. you know that's this kind of sucks um uh but uh, let me say yeah let me say this real quick fred i know that there's some frustration about the unknown with the future of this game based on kind of how this game has been set up. And I, I, I don't want to say it's outdated, but some of the stuff is outdated. Like you mentioned MJF with the, like kind of the pinnacle theme and like the young bucks are the tag team champions. Like as far as like the game, some of the stuff hasn't been fully updated yet. The shell sure. itself feels it. It reminds me of grand theft auto five, like grand theft auto six is finally in production 10 years after grand theft auto five came out yeah and grand theft auto five was among the top sellers on overall dollars that includes your microtransactions your your buying of like in-game dollars and that kind of thing it feels like we're set up for the long term and instead of something like wwe where they put out a new game every year i think this is going to be the game for four to eight years and they're just going to continuously update it and patch it and offer dlc to continue to grow it and make it better so by the time the new game comes out in that four to eight years you may have spent 150 dollars on it but you never had to buy a new copy of the game you just got to buy extra stuff to make it even more cool mm-hmm. and i think that idea is why i'm really intrigued about the future here because it's not about getting a new game every year where like I don't I never bought Madden every year I bought it like every other because I'm like you know what the year-to-year changes are usually not that substantial like same with the iPhone 12 to 13 was like nothing Mm -hmm. when I upgraded to the 14 there was a significant amount of software upgrades where I felt really comfortable about it and I needed to because the battery anyways but that's a whole different story I like that that seems to be the trajectory with this game. And if I'm proven wrong, I'm proven wrong. But that that's kind of how I feel the approach was here. They took forever to release it, which we don't know a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, but it feels like they were trying to make sure that the launch of this game was as smooth as possible. And based on early reviews, except that one guy from what was the like game line or hardline wrote a 26 minute piece about this game being absolute trash. The reviews on this game have been incredibly positive. And most importantly, they're positive from people like us who love professional wrestling, who love video games and just wanted another pro wrestling video game. That was fun. Not necessarily super realistic. There's a lot of realist realism in this game, but it felt fun. 
And that's why the No Mercy comparison and why they wanted to kind of build a game similar to No Mercy was such a pivotal aspect to how they built this in. Because that game was fun. Everybody played the crap out of it on the Nintendo 64 Well, in real time. And today it's still fun because it's got that arcade feel. It's got that, I'm just going to have fun with this, even though it's not necessarily completely realistic. It's not a true simulation. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of simulation games that are incredibly fun because you like a little bit of the absurdity. That's why I love NFL Blitz. Yeah. NFL Blitz has enough realism and then you pair it with fun, like turbo and like diving 10 yards to be able to get a guy and hitting them after the fact, being able to utilize pass interference. Those elements are great. And I think how this game has been structured so far leads me to believe, and especially with how, if you relate this game to Tony Khan's booking, this is a long, long-term play. And this is going to be a story that's going to continue to be written and we don't even have anywhere close to the full picture. To me, that's where the intrigue is. And I think they're going to, they're going to see a lot of that instant feedback from fans. They're going to work on patches to make things better, but it's fun. And to me, that's the most important part of a video game. It should be fun. And they hit the nail on the head. Thank God for that. Uh, I disagree a little, little bit in the sense that, well, first of all, I, I know it's terrible. It, it, audio should just be people agreeing with each other. Um, <laughs> that, that's the best way to do a podcast. Uh, but no, I mean, first of all, uh, so on Metacritic, the, the game has a 64 right now, which is in the average category. It's uh, got 33 reviews up. Four of them are classified as negative. Eight is positive. The other 21 are mixed. Um and I think like that's a pretty fair initial response to this game. Um, I, I I would love for them to continue to update it. Uh, that's you know obviously what I assume they'll be doing. But you know the thing with video game development is you can never really um, never really assume that's going to be the case. Unfortunately, um, you you know video game development companies will promise you know like in this games as a service model which AEW Fight Forever kind of is is that they will um, you know they'll promise doing stuff for the next six months or a year and then if sales are weak the company will move on to another game and they'll be like well we gotta try to make money sorry uh, now obviously I think this is going to be different for Fight Forever. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's the uncertainty, you know, and we, we don't even have that roadmap. And that's that's I think is a really big missing thing. Um, so I, I do hope they keep patching it and keep trying to improve it. But, you know, there, there's rumors of like that st- stadium stampede um, battle royale mode uh, battle royale in the video game since not the wrestling voice or wrestling since. Um and uh, if that's the case, that could be really interesting. Uh, have you? Are you aware of that, Tyler? The stadium stampede element. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, cool. I so I kind of like that they're gonna. That's coming, but it's not here yet. And one of the reasons I like that is obviously you want the full package right away. But mm, sure, of course. Sometimes you don't want to overload what the thing is right away, and you want to get the basics down first. Being that this is the first 
ever venture into a true video game for all elite wrestling. And obviously, you know, Kenny Omega has a lot of influence on it because he is one of the biggest like gamers around Mm -hmm. when you kind of combine all these little nuance elements, Fred, I like that they're going to introduce more things later because they, I think they got the core right. And I, they're going to have some minor tweaks here and there. I mean, almost everything gets patched up nowadays because you, you discover some little bugs and then you fix it. But when you have never made something, getting the basics down first is so incredibly important. And something like Stadium Stampede is one, it's it's going to be fun. Let's just be honest. We're going to play the crap out of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be a difficult thing integrating it into an engine because of all the little nuances. You have to create these different elements. Wrestlers are going to ride horses. They're going to be on golf carts. They're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to have to be able to do a finishing move off of that platform onto that crash pad that Kenny Omega did to win the dang thing. There's like, I totally get waiting because that's going to be a very intricate thing. And that can also be like a, a DLC. Oh, five bucks. You get to play stadium stampede. Do I like the fact that I'm going to have to pay five bucks for that in, in theory? No, but it's just one of those things that you can continuously build and build and build. And I'm fine with it because they got the guts, right? They got the heart of it. They cooked the steak perfectly. Now it's about adding the, the proper side dishes. Fred, you're muted. I'm not editing that out. Hey, I, I, I accidentally uh, muted myself apparently rather than doing it on purpose and then just forgetting. So, you know, I'm good at this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's very promising. They have work to do. I hope they do it. Um, and I hope that they're able to continue to improve on this because the, the core is very good. The, the actual wrestling gameplay is very good. I like it a lot. Um, uh, the story mode is solid. It's short. Um, Another thing that's really bad is the idea that uh, you have to take every creative wrestler through the um, the career mode, the uh, road to elite mode to get them leveled up, uh, which is unfortunate, um, very time consuming and grindy. I have not tried the online play yet. I've never been much of an online guy. Uh, so I don't know how much time I'll be spending on that, but let's talk I'm about the online for a second, Fred, because yeah, sure. I have not been able to play it, but having conversations with people in the office slack and it's been brought up that like in Madden, if you quit an online ranked match, you lose unless yeah. the opponent agrees to a draw. And sometimes they'll agree to a draw because it'll be like a seven, three game in the second quarter and you just have to go. Yeah. And like, that's Okay. But there are a lot of people who will quit when they're down 21 nothing. Well, I know I'm going to lose anyway, so I might as well just bail. Here, if you're about to lose, you could just quit and nothing happens to you. There's no penalty, and it was basically just a major waste of time. Yeah. That, I think, is something that's going to have to be fixed if you want people to continue to play ranked matches because there is no incentive. If you're just going to lose, why? Yeah, I could just quit. I don't, I, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. I think that's 
going that is probably the biggest flaw I've found so far with the game. But it's also relatively minor because that can be fixed. Yeah, it uh that is a total bummer. <laughs> um I had uh not got I, I obviously have not experienced that myself, but I had I did see some people talking about that, and that is absolutely insane. Um, I think that should be expected behavior in any online game that if someone disconnects that, you know, regardless of if it's their fault or not, that they should uh if it's a rank mode, especially, it should be given a a loss. But yeah. It's it's one of those things. It's they're gonna figure this stuff out and I'm very excited to see how this continues to grow and evolve. Cause I think that's going to be the most important thing, Fred grow and evolve. Once they figure that out, the sky is the limit for this thing because it's going to be, it's already really fun. Fun is the most important part of video games. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. Oh, realism, this like, and anything else that you want to put in front of it. But the reason why people play video games, 99% of people, they want to have fun. And this is the epitome of fun. It's it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a, uh, a fun uh, game. And I just hope they keep improving and making it better. Absolutely. And I'll say this. If you have played the game and you like or don't like it, shoot us a message. Let us know what you think of it. Um, I have some interesting... Uh, notes in the discord about it uh you can go check that out that is the voices of wrestling discord and we have our own channel the good the bad and the hungry in the show section go check it out let us know what you think um other news there's there's a lot of news fred and we're gonna have have some really interesting discussions about this show buzz daily is shutting down this week um and if you don't know what show buzz daily is they are the ones that release all the numbers for television ratings that is like total audience and then specific demographics. The main one that we follow is um, persons 18 to 49. Cause that is the most important one as far as television commercials. Therefore it is also the most important one when you're having ratings discourse, but at the same time, you also want to have strong numbers in a lot of other categories too. But the most important one is persons 18 to 49. Um, and that is, and Showbuzz daily categorizes them as males and females. Um, but it's just encompasses everybody. So them being gone, we're going to be it's ratings discourse is going to get a lot more dumb, uh, mainly because we just don't have all the information. You're going to have the people like uh, Brandon Thurston, WrestleNomics, Wade Keller, the pro wrestling torch. They're still going to get the numbers, but how detailed are we going to get them? Are we going to get them in the same format? Because the one thing about Showbuzz Daily is you got the top 50 and it was broken down and you could compare them to everybody. Like this past week did just over 800,000 viewers and a 0.24 in the demo second place to the NHL draft, which did a 0.25. Nobody watched TV on Wednesday. And that element is not going to get talked about enough in the ratings discourse. Cause most people don't understand the television ratings. If you're second with a 0.24 and first was a 0.25, nobody's watching television. Like first is almost always in the high point threes if not higher, especially when you have like NBA and NHL games, those numbers are usually in like the 0.5s, 0.6s, maybe even the 0.7s if you have like Celtics, Lakers or something like that. But it's going to get a lot more bad faith. It's going to get a lot more gross. 
And you're going to get a lot more people who don't know what they're talking about having discussions about this. And it's going to get more inherently frustrating. Yeah, and uh, it does stink. <laughs> it really does. Um, uh, there's already just like a whole cottage industry based around the stupidest views on the ratings uh, based on numbers not being the same as they were in the late 90s. Um, even though you've, we've got uh, Eric Bischoff who killed his company because of his uh, obsession with ratings, um, you know, going around to rant about, you know, how AEW finishing second on the night is bad because it was only a point to, yeah, instead of uh, of three million viewers because you know he thinks about how wrestling in you know the sense of wrestling in nineteen ninety eight when he was actually involved and um you know heavily uh had had power and had to worry about uh you know his company you know which he did not do a particularly good job with uh but yeah i mean it's just kind of this is gonna get dumb there's gonna be a lot of really dumb tweets and uh, it's gonna suck uh i'm not a fan of it but yeah i'm not a fan where of we it. Are. yeah it's just one of those things it's going to be annoying it's going to be frustrating and well we're going to be here to help you parse everything out as best we can because that is what's most important is to try to get to the honest truth and that is why you listen to the good the bad and hungry oh also and uh um because we're very good looking we are a very good looking podcast handsome i'm I'm glad you can uh see that through the audio just that i'm just curious through we're incredibly good looking and I have some of the best hair in professional wrestling audio. Let's, let's just be real. I, I'm just, <laughs> I am, I am not that cocky. I'm just having a good time. Let's talk about blood and guts, Fred. July 19th, Blackpool combat club versus the elite. Let me ask you this question. It was something we were discussing on the, on the Slack the other night. Is Kanosuke Takeshita with the Blackpool combat club? Um, I would say no. I would agree. Um, it was the go-home dynamite for Forbidden Door. I can't remember the exact quote. Now I have to go back and watch it. Moxley explicitly says that Takesha is not a member of the Blackpool Combat Club, but they share a common enemy. That is Kenny Omega, the elite. And that's why they're together. And you could kind of get a sense of it. They were, they were fine. They're adjacent, but they're not together. And I'm curious if Takeshita ends up being in this match because we don't have Brian Danielson. Yeah, it's very. Um, it's going to be very interesting to me about who's going to be in this match and how it's going to work out. I mean, obviously Danielson will not be available. If he does, it's going to be like the whole Cowboy Bob Orton gimmick with the I cast. I was just going to say that. Cowboy Bob, Co- Cowboy Brian Danielson, let's go. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I, I, if you saw the x-ray, I have to believe he's going to go pin in that, uh, that bone that he broke. Um, it's uh, it's enough where I would not be shocked by that at all. So so not only is it, it's not like just a normal arm break where uh, you know you get slapped in a cast and let it heal on its own. I think that's going to need surgical intervention. 
And uh, when you add that in, that increases recovery time. And I think that really raises a question of if he would be able to even wrestle at this point in time. Uh, so I'm assuming he's not going to be in it. So so that would mean we got Mox, we got uh, Yuta, we got Claudio, and we got Takeshita. I don't know if they add a fifth in there. Um, they they could we were planning on adding a fifth initially. Mm-hmm. The only the only thing I can think of is you bring in Shooter for something like this, but I don't even think you can do that because the whole idea would be, oh, you have Eddie Kingston, but this is right after the beginning of the G1. So yeah, outside of those guys and Ishii who have been involved in the feud, who would you bring in? Who would you have as the fifth guy? And the first blood and guts, I think it was four on four. It may have been five on five, but the nice part is like, even if you go back to war games, it doesn't matter how many are in. As long as it's equal on both sides, it's fine. You can make it work with four guys. You can make it work with five. You can make it work with six, seven, or eight. It doesn't yeah. have to be a specific number. Yeah, last year it was actually uh, it was six on six, um, which I had forgot about. Um in 2021, um, it was five on five. Yeah, five on five that year with the pinnacle and the inner circle. Um, yeah, I mean, they have flexibility. I suppose they could go four on four if they wanted to. Uh, they um, they need to find, if they are going to do it, they'll need to find someone that uh, makes sense in the storyline to add on to the add on to the BCC side because um, funnily enough, well, I guess four on four works for both sides at this point in time. Um, Kingston won't be available because he's in the G1 field. And so is Umino. Um, if I, yeah, he's a debuting this year too. So those guys aren't going to be options. And if they aren't options, I don't know who's really left that makes sense in storyline. Could, um, I've got a couple ideas for the Blackpool Combat Club. Pack. Okay. Here's why I talk Pack. Pack has consistently throughout his time in the company teamed with people he doesn't like to go after enemies. And obviously, the elite broke his face. They broke his nose, and he had to. He was out for an extended period of time during that best of seven. He might want revenge on the elite, and it's just superficial revenge because of that. And I don't like you, Blackpool Combat Club, but I'll join you to get my hands on them. You could write that in storyline. On the elite side, he's obviously doing something else completely different, but the one that makes sense is Adam Cole. So if you wanted to do a five-on-five, and we're getting in the weeds here, we're we're fantasy booking and trying to present potential options, it's probably going to be four-on-four. Adam Cole makes sense. He's been in the elite. They killed him off in being the elite. And then they brought him back to life at all out 2021. So those to me are the options. I don't know if you're willing to go that direction, but it's something to consider. What would be really hilarious is if the Blackpool combat club grabs CM Punk, that will never happen, but boy, would it be great? Yeah, um, and yeah, I, they do have some options, but I think it's probably going to end up four on four, and uh, I think it'd still be really exciting, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Um, they did officially announce All Out, which will be the week after All In. And they're going to do an entire week in Chicago. And I'm curious how they're going to structure tickets this year, because last year they structured them as a package. You had to buy a strip where you had to buy the live rampage, the live dynamite and the pay-per-view because they knew people would just buy the pay-per-view and yada, yada, bing, bang. So they had a lot of those strips. I'm curious if they do that again, because it's also not going to be in the same arena. All our dynamite and rampage are going to be filmed at the now arena in Hoffman estates, which is about 35, 40 minutes West of downtown Chicago and collision on Saturday and all out on Sunday are both going to be at the United center, which is, I believe downtown Chicago, or maybe it's the South side. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's in that general vicinity. I'm curious how those tickets are going to be structured. I'm also curious how Tony Khan is going to build two huge shows simultaneously. That's going to be fascinating. Um, Obviously you have like the best of the super juniors tour, and then you have the best of super juniors final. And then that goes right into dominion. But because so few heavyweights are actually on that card, you can still have stuff built for dominion. So you can have those two major shows relatively back to back and feel pretty confident about it. It where you're building the two major shows within a similar time frame. This is a different story. And I'm really curious to see how things happen. Are they going to have like number one contenders matches at all in to go to all out? This is going to be a really interesting test for Tony Khan and how he likes to book professional wrestling. I'm fascinated to see what happens. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a really busy summer for AW, and um, you know, it'd be really exciting to see what they're able to do and what all they build. Yeah, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. And speaking of summer, one of the last days of summer, AEW is returning to Arthur Ashe Stadium for Grand Slam and Grand Slam Rampage. Uh, awesome! I, I love Grand Slam. It's it's going to be two and a half weeks after all out. So what kind of big match are they going to get? But grand slam, the first two years has been great. Um, what the first one was, uh, let off with Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. Like there's yeah. going to be some good stuff and I'm curious to see how they structure it. And will rampage be two hours again? Yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah, it, that'll be fun. Let's talk about Dave Meltzer, everybody's favorite wrestling journalist. He uh, rankings for the Forbidden Door show are out. The lowest rated match he had was three stars. I, I don't know which one that was, but I I think can, it was the Jericho one, uh, the six man. Three stars is fine. Um, yeah. I gave it three and a half, but I totally get it. Four and three quarters for Kazuchika Okada and Brian Danielson and the 10 man tag. And he gave Osprey Omega six stars. What were your takeaways here? I thought I gave Okada Danielson four and three quarters. I thought it was great. Now, could it have been a lot better? Yeah. Danielson also broke his arm. So like on rewatch, I still kept it at four and three quarters because I thought that was just so impressive how he worked around his 
arm literally being snapped and still tapped out Kazuchika Okada in a very creative way where it really doesn't bury Okada at all. It's just Danielson being Danielson. And the 10 man tag, I think we both gave that five stars, correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I mean, it's literally just uh, one person's opinion, but Mm. we know with Dave Meltzer, he has watched so much more wrestling than we could have ever imagined that I do take some credence in that opinion kind of because I view it from he personally, I see his ratings as more of a historical context than anything. Um, I know he doesn't re-rate matches. I'd love to see him re-rate some of the all Japan matches from the the early nineties with like Masao and Kobashi and Kawada. Cause I wonder how many of those would get up to six stars, but uh, I, I have no issue with any of these. Yeah, I mean, if, typically, if you're within uh, half a star of someone, you basically agree with them. Uh, you know, you're you're in the same neighborhood. Uh, I think what's really interesting here is that with uh, with this rating, Osprey, who's only thirty, uh, has now passed uh, Misawa for the most uh, five plus star ratings from Dave Meltzer in his career. Um, so now Osprey has the most of all time. Um, now there's several caveats here. You know, some people will argue that Dave has inflated his ratings over the past 30 years. I think the response to that would be that Dave likes modern wrestling more than he did most, you know, most of the stuff from the 90s. I think, uh, you know, there's an argument that he didn't see everything from the, um, from the, you know, the 90s and aughts in Japan. And obviously distribution was not what it was, uh, you know, like it is now where everything is just at your fingertips. Um, so that's something to consider as well. Uh, but I mean, ignoring all that, I mean, the real big takeaway, I think, is just that Osprey's already had a fantastic career if he never steps in the rings again, uh, ring again. And um, I mean, any kind of like quibbling about, well, you know, this person should have more or Dave's ratings, blah, blah, blah. This is kind of you know, like you're really nitpicking and it's just a guy's opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people take his opinion a little too seriously as far as an entertainment perspective. Like he has seen so much more wrestling than all of us ever have. I think people need to calm down just a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's, it's Meltzer. He's, he likes his style. He likes, you know, a style like most people do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just the deal. You know, it's, it's awesome. you know, Meltzer likes his the style and uh, he's rates accordingly, you know. Oh, yeah, that that's that's honestly a perfect way to say it. Let's uh, continue on and talk about um, that Osprey Omega match. It's currently 38th all-time on cage match with the first match being seventh. Now, Fred, I'm going to give you a minute to pull this up because I'm very curious. I want to know what the first six matches are, and I, yeah, I want to sure. play a game. I want to try and guess all oh, six matches. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, game time. I, I, I wanted to do the cage match game this weekend. I just forgot to. Well, um, this will be our cage match game. Cage match game variation. Um, uh, cage match game two. <laughs> All right, so uh, all right, I got it pulled up. Okay. 
Oh, um, Omega Okada four is got to be one of them. Uh, that was the. Uh, let me look here because I don't have shows or anything. I just have dates. Um, um, that would be six ninety uh, eighteen. That is correct. That is number four all time and nine point seven nine out of six, ten. Nine, the tag match six nine ninety five. You will not believe this, but that is not in the top five or top ten. You got to be. Oh wait, I, I can't read. That's number five. Sorry, nine point okay. seven nine. Jeez, um, Omega Okada one. Uh, da, 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 that was uh, one four seventeen. Yep. Yep, that is number two. Um, I I don't remember the date, but I want to say Misawa Kobashi when um, Kobashi first bust out the burning hammer, I think that would have been like 96. Uh, there is, that is not in the top 10. Okay. That is uh number 11. I think uh, 120 97 is currently at a 9.73 at number 11. So we'll give that an honorary point for, uh, for the purposes of the game. Okay. Um, Kobashi Kikuchi versus the KMN Express from 92. Correct. That is number 10, 9.74. Um, I'm going to throw this one out there, and I have no idea if I'm right. Um, Macho Man and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. No, that is uh, that is not in the top 100, shockingly. Really? Yeah. Which I think is actually correct. I think, like, for that time period, that may have been, like, a a five star match, but if you go back and watch it now, you're like, I think I went like four and a quarter on it or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really good for the era. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, you know, my personal preferences lie elsewhere. That's all it is. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart. Summer, I think that was SummerSlam or is that Mania? Uh, it was both. Uh, I think uh, the Mania one is typically thought of as higher, but that is uh, Mania is seventy uh, seventh on the list, and okay. SummerSlam is not. So I've got two, four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. You're missing down. one, one, three, six. Oh, eight I, and I nine. Gotten six. Okay. Uh, I guess uh, Omega Osprey one dropped down to seventh since I made this list this morning. Yeah. Um. Let's uh, let's go Omega Okada two. That is not on the top ten. Okay. Um. Shibata Okada. That that is that one. That is number three at nine point eight zero. That's number three. Okay. I'm trying to think of other modern matches that could be up there. Let me give you a couple of hints here. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, these are all in the 21st century. I, I, uh, that much I figured. And secondly, they are all they all took place in Japan. Okay, so they are all in Japan. Um, I, th- I think it was it was 2014, the invasion attack, uh, Okada Tanahashi. No, that is not in the top 10. Um, okay. That looks like uh, 2014, you said? Um, that would have been April. Yeah. Uh, I have a April 2013 between Tana and Okada that is 14th. So I think that's what you're talking about. So close, yeah. but no cigar. Okay. Is Okada Osprey? At one? Uh, no, it is not. Um, Okada Osprey is uh, down at 57th. So an awful match. Wow. Nobody liked it. 
Oh, Will Osprey, Shingo Takagi, best of Super Junior Final 2019. Uh, that is 15th. Gross. Wow, cage match. How dare you? Haters. Haters. Um, all of them. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to bow out. I don't. Okay. What one? All right. Uh, number nine is uh, the 2016 Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito uh, G1 Climax match. Okay. That, was, that, that would have been the block be. final. And uh, also, one year later on the exact same date is a second Kenny Omega Naito uh, G1 match. That would have been uh, the final. Yeah. So those two uh, virtually identical in the rankings uh, at eight and nine. Number six is from uh, 2018. Uh, that is in the G1 Climax when Hiroshi Tanahashi met Kota Ibushi. And oh, that, uh, that was the final, phenomenal. I believe. And um, number one is from Noah. Uh, you got this matchup right, just didn't mention this one. It was from 2003 when uh, Kobashi and Misawa faced off. Ah, uh, that match was phenomenal. Um, that was a fun game. I was, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised how well I did, and I'm a little disappointed in cage match uh, for a couple ratings, but I'll digress. Well, you know, it's a few hundred people putting their numbers in, so... Uh, the top-rated American match, I always find this interesting, is currently separated by one hundredth of a point. Twenty-second uh, all-time is uh, Adam Page and Omega against the Young Bucks uh, from Leap Day 2020 for Revolution, and then right behind it is Ilya Dragunov and Walter from yeah, uh, NXT I, UK. I put the same bucket. That that Dragunov Walter match. Imagine that match being in front of a crowd. Yeah. That match was that good in an empty arena. Yeah. Oh. And then, actually, the next, uh, after that, the next four matches are all American. Uh, Kenta Kobashi and Samoa Joe. Um, then the TNA uh, Unbreakable Styles Daniel Samoa Joe match. I recommend if you've never listened, go listen to You've Got to Be Kidding Me. Their latest episode that just dropped talks about this match. Oh, I got to watch. I got to listen to that and then watch it because I actually have never watched it. I'm um, in like May of 2003 because it's one of those podcasts where like if there's current stuff, I'll listen to current stuff first. Mm-hmm. But man, it's great to have on because not only is Garrett the most knowledgeable person about impact, and he's probably more knowledgeable than any person on any subject of all time. When talking about sure. They there it, it just feels like two friends just giving each other the business and having a good time. I love yeah. that type of style. And it's knowledge based too, which makes it even better. Uh, and then uh, Andrade Almas against Johnny Gargano at Takeover Philadelphia, and then Bret Hart and Steve Austin at WrestleMania. Oh, that Bret Hart Steve Austin match! It's I I think that match gets overrated because of the double turn mm-hmm. and what came after it. In a vacuum, I don't think that match is that high. Oh, I, I disagree fully. But well, well, hold on, I get why. But I think it gets overrated because of what came after. And I think that clouds judgment just a little bit. I still give it borderline five stars, but I'm not at five stars. I'm at four and three quarters. And I think, I guess, yeah, I think hindsight elevates it a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. That's I mean, a reasonable real thing to time say. It's not a five star match. Mm. But I don't blame anybody who says it's a five star match. 
I actually think uh, if you go back and read, uh, you have to keep in mind like the fact that in 1990 high level match, you know, the 1990s high level matches were not happening on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, th- this got a fantastic reaction at the time. Meltzer gave it five stars when it happened. So um, it was generally considered like one of the best uh, American matches of all time at that point in time. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, look, I just I'm not at the same level. Um, I think it's I think it's four and three quarters. And well, I guess uh, well, we're within half stars. So we basically agree. But yeah, that's fine. Um, all right, let's let's continue on because we we could get bogged down in the weeds for ever and ever. Let's talk about the assassination of John Muse. Um, and if you don't know what happened, I highly recommend you go watch the first ten minutes of the uh, um, the press scrum as my wife comes in to drop off the sweet boy Odie. Um, she's getting ready to go to work. Um, so Jericho comes in and yells at Sting, and he throws up a water bottle and hits it with his bat. Now, we all could have told you this was a bad idea, and it ended up bad. It hit John Muse in the head, and apparently he's he started bleeding. Thankfully, he's okay, but th- I, I want to give a, a lot of props to how they handled it in the room. Um, and I, I would imagine that later on, Chris Jericho went and profusely apologized to John Muse because that just kind of seems who he is. Meltzer, Meltzer says that he did. So. Yeah. Um, Jericho stayed in character. He didn't break. And as kind of shitty as it may feel watching it live, I thought that was important because what he did was in character and not the person. And then Tony Khan basically called him out for being a piece of crap in real time and said, that's not okay. That's not okay. You need to go. And I thought that evolution of how he handles things in real time, especially when you compare it to brawl out, I thought was really important. And it also was important because even though he's not an on-screen authority figure, he's an on-screen authority figure. And I thought that was that whole situation from a, an entertainment aspect was handled perfectly. And it sounds like they did right by John Muse. They got a medical attention right away. They took care of him on the back end. That's also great. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. 
I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock. E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah, uh, I'm glad that it all all worked out okay. But, you know, it's one of those weird side notes that uh, will be memorable going forward, basically. Um, Yeah. um, They, uh, Jericho did a dumb thing. I I don't know how he expected that to work out in a rather small, you know, smallish room with uh, no control of the, the bottle after he hits it. But, you know. My guess is he was trying to hit it down so he could do both, but it just didn't happen that way. It sure didn't. <laughs> um, but, but but John Muse is okay, and that's really what's uh, important here. 100%. So as we, as we continue to move forward, Britt Baker was pulled to dynamite due to illness, and I think this might have been the first time it was directly referenced but it also may not because we've seen them kiss on national television that Britt Baker and Adam Cole are an item. Um, and obviously Adam Cole was pulled from forbidden door due to an illness. And then Britt Baker was also pulled due to an illness. So thankfully we can put some of those Adam Cole post concussion things to bed because it's, it seems to just be the flu and yeah. that's objectively good for the, or for trying to look at, Adam Cole's health is a like on a long-term scale. That's everybody gets sick with the flu, unless you're Joe Lanza. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think it should be back next week. Uh, fortunately, it seems like it was a relatively minor illness for, uh, for, uh, Adam. So hopefully that's the same case or same thing for, uh, for Brit as well. Yeah. Um, Let's continue to talk about the news. Uh, oh, well, one last thing with Britt Baker. They moved her Owen Hart uh, Memorial Foundation uh, tournament match with Ruby Soho to next week, which I find interesting. Would they have done that with everybody? Um, and I think, like, especially like when you talk about Japan, if you're in a match and you can't make the, the territory, you can't make the, the building, you forfeit. And mm-hmm. John Moxley had to forfeit the United States title because he couldn't get in the country because of a typhoon. Yep. And that's just one of those things. I, I, I'm curious to see how, if this becomes a precedent or if this is just a one-off because they knew it was the flu. Uh, I, it's not something we're going to have an answer to right away, but I'm very curious to see how it continues to evolve and look long-term. All right, yep. well, let's, let, let's, <laughs> let's continue on here. <laughs> Thing busted his lift and may have knocked out a tooth on dynamite. Look, nobody wants anybody to lose a tooth or get hurt. But if Sting lost a tooth by doing that awesome dive off the ladder, look, that's cool as hell, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's four years old and he's doing shit. He doesn't have to. Why? Because he loves professional wrestling. 
that rocks. Um, hopefully it's nothing major and it's he uh, he seems to be just fine, which is awesome. But God sting rules, man. Yeah, he, he does so much. That was scary as hell. <laughs> um, I'm glad he's okay after that. But it was a very frightening moment when he was like, I'm gonna climb this thing and jump off. It's like, no, please don't die. Uh but yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, he seems to be okay. Uh, and uh, I'm glad he is okay because he didn't quite go as far as he had hoped to on that spot. I think it worked mm-hmm. out in the end. Uh, I, I don't think it looked bad, but Sting rules. Absolutely. Let's uh, continue here. Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer that FTR has gone out of their way to work with everyone in the elite and aren't a part of ongoing issues. That one fascinates me, Fred, because we know that FTR has had the back of CM Punk, and I'm curious as to how those conversations have been going. FTR has been very outspoken about Punk uh, since Brawl Out. Maybe this, maybe FTR is the key to bridging the gap and making money. Um, we can talk a lot about those hypotheticals, but it would make sense, wouldn't it, that these guys are the key to potentially making this relationship work long-term. Yeah, in a way. I mean, really, I think that, you know, that Punk is willing to uh, try and uh, make this work uh, as far as a business thing. Now, what does that mean for him? Uh, I don't know. You know, maybe he has uh, some ideas on what exactly that would be. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think that he would be willing to do it. I just think it's it's really, I would assume, from what I've read, I, I think it's mainly the Bucks that just don't want anything to do with uh, with CM Punk. Um, and maybe one day that'll all get spoofed out and it'll all be good, but we ain't there yet. And uh, that is, uh, I think it's unfortunate, but I understand. And honestly, it's okay if we don't immediately run back to that. Uh, it, we need to at some point do that, uh, but it doesn't have to be like right out of the gate. Yeah. All right. Outsports 100 most power, powerful LGBTQ plus people in the sports world. Anthony Bowens listed at 44. Yeah. And look, I don't know if we said it. Uh, I, I don't think we've talked about this yet. That Anthony Bowens segment with Harley. Cameron was phenomenal where he's, he's literally wearing um, like trunks that are one pink two, they've got uh, the pride flag colors built in and like on the scissors. And he just looks at her and says, I'm gay. And it it got one of the biggest pops of the night. And like, he's, he's been out for quite some time, but I think this was the first mention of it on television. And like, I, I thought it was, Let's talk about this. I thought it was really cool that they one mentioned it to everybody like supported him in the building with, with the positivity and his teammates like were supporting him in the ring. When he said that, I, I, I thought the whole thing was, was well done. And Harley is the only good part of QTV. The only good part of QTV. There is no, unless you count powerhouse ops, which I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree. Um, and that's the only part of rampage I have watched from this past week. And, uh, it was a pretty awesome 
uh, response when the crowd supportingly chanted, you're gay, <laughs> or he's gay, at uh, Bowens. Um, just a very unique segment. But, I mean, Bowens is awesome. Uh, there were other people in wrestling on the list. I think Effie was, like, 96th. Um, and uh, I'll, the, the backstage guy from TNA, uh, not Scott DeMore, but uh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, but he was on there as well. And there are a couple of MMA uh, fighters as well. Amanda Nunez and uh, Liz Carmouche, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just a very interesting uh, uh, list. Yeah. Sadie Gibbs, if you remember the name, she was with uh, AEW a little bit before the pandemic. And she is from England, so... And that's one of the reasons why Jamie Hader was out for a long time too. They're just, it was harder for like the pandemic cross country travel was just not a thing. And she ended up retiring from professional wrestling uh, to do, she was doing like fitness and Instagram stuff. Now, apparently she's announced to return to wrestling, which I am a fan of. I thought she had real potential and she was more of a, a longer term play. I thought by like this time, if she, if, she was continuing with wrestling. I thought she could be a real player in the women's division. If she ends up coming back to AEW uh, in some form, I, I will be very excited. Yeah. Uh, I remember that she was talked about as having a lot of promise when she did join up with AEW at that point in time. Uh, it was very early in, you know, the, the run of course, but um, of the company. And uh, it was kind of like a, it turned out a lot like Strong Hearts, where they popped up every once in a while and were pretty awesome. And then the pandemic came and that just stopped afterwards. It just no longer was a thing. Um, it'd be cool if she is able to become a part of AW again. And is that still at that talent level? Um, I don't think she'll be instantly slotted as high as she might have been if she was able to stick around for the next few months. Uh, but I think she could still provide a uh, needed talent boost to the women's division in AEW, which could always use a little more depth and a little more skill. Um, so fingers crossed for her. Absolutely. I, I don't know anything about this, Fred, so I'm going to turn this over to you. Oh, boy. Just incredible stupidity. Explain. Yes. Okay, so on the uh, anti-AEW parts of Twitter, uh, there is a uh, thing going around, a clip from the Moxley Ishii match, where they were trading blows, and they did the the spot where they clothesline each other and collapse into each other, and uh, like AW botches or whoever the hell, whatever shitty uh, gimmick account it was, uh, screenshotted it and uh, was like, "Look at this bad wrestling," you know, uh, and then just incredible of all people retweeted it. And was like, ah, I'm a better wrestler than these guys. This never happened to me once in 30 years of wrestling. Um, uh, I'm sorry. His exact quote was, "I'm not. I am not saying I am better than these guys, but this has never happened to me in my 30 plus years. Not even once. WTF? And it's like clearly like a planned spot. Um, and like maybe, you know, maybe that's like. Not your taste in wrestling, I guess. I, I don't know. I, it feels fine. But, you know, and then later he said that he would put him against Jerry Lynn against any of these matches that uh, Ishii and Moxley did. Um, and I think uh, Jerry Lynn's doing a lot of work there. <laughs> but just some very dumb stuff that has 
you know, it's just part of the continuing anti AEW uh, grifting. So, I'm not giving that any time. That is very dumb, extremely dumb shit. If you didn't like Moxley Ishii, you don't like professional wrestling, man. That was great. And yeah, let, I, let's get into talking about it because that was the opener for AEW Dynamite. And I, I thought it was really cool that they gave homage to their match in the G1, which I believe Moxley won. Because I think he started off five and zero and ended five and four, and I think this was his first Corican main event. Match was great mm-hmm. and beat mercilessly, beat unmercilessly. I mean, beat the living shit out of each other, and they did that here too. They each one count kicked out of each other's finisher, the the fighting spirit thing and the resiliency. And I thought with these two guys, that story made a lot of sense where you can't kill me, I'm going to kill you aspect. And one count kickouts, I'm normally not the biggest fan of, but I think it really worked here, just like it worked with the uh, Omega and Osprey match. And these guys just beat each other up. I gave this four and a half. This was great. Yeah, this was a blast of a match. I went four and a half on it as well. Um, I mean, it was just intense, hard hitting. Uh, They tore into each other. The the early chop exchange uh, just... uh, bloodied the hell out of each guy's chest um the i i could do without the uh the way they did those headbutts you know unprotected headbutts really do need to stop being a thing but you know they did them and uh i can't say it wasn't cool in the moment um but i also have you know my degree that makes me say please don't hit your head against someone else's on purpose um at any kind of speed. Um, but yeah, I love this match. It was a lot of fun. It was a great TV match and, um, you know, just a fantastic, uh, way to open the show. Yeah. Uh, when we have to talk about this element, Fred, halfway through the match, Eddie Kingston's music hits. And the reason why Eddie's music hit is because you had Claudio and Yuta ringside and it looked like they were about to, to attack Ishii and Kingston was not letting that happen throughout the rest of the match. All you got was Kingston and Claudio staring each other down. And later on, you had Rene Paquette like yelling at Kingston. And I thought this was really cool because it, it showed an element of, hey, Rene is Moxley's husband or Moxley's wife. I mean, we all know that. None of us are dumb. She starts yelling at Kingston for this BS. And Mox had a perfect line. Like, get over this old Chikara BS. Yeah. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And Kingston won't do it. And it ended up with a blow up. And it feels like we're getting Moxley Kingston singles at some point. Maybe this is an all in or all out match. I I also wouldn't be shocked if they do some form of tag at one of those. And then that could be a Grand Slam main event because Eddie's from Yonkers. I thought this was really well done. And yeah, I, I love this stuff. This is great. Yeah. This, I mean, the Eddie stuff was great. Him and Claudio just staring at each other throughout the match was a a great touch. Um, I mean, this was uh, just great wrestling, man. Uh, Absolutely nothing uh, negative to say about it whatsoever. Um, Just about as good as it could have been considering time and setting and everything. So, yeah, 
what a great way to start off dynamite and that we go immediately to a backstage interview with Adam Cole. Adam Cole pulls up in an SUV, gets out, and then you see MJF uh, pulling up like in another SUV. And MJF, what a brilliant line here. Congrats on getting sick for Forbidden Door. Like, just great. Because MJF is like, I wish I would have thought of that. And he goes on to talk about, um, I think me and you got off on the wrong page here. Obviously, you were good enough to beat me for the triple B, but nobody is on the level with the devil. Just imagine what we could be capable of as a team. So how about you and me bond a little bit this weekend? Hop in my car. So he said, sure, I'm going to go say hello to a few people first. This will be important because we'll get another another uh, segment here in a little bit. Yeah, but this was uh, this was a nice little segment, and I think it works well with what came after. And that segment also was good. And um, yeah, uh, I I don't know how I feel about the storyline though. Um, the the rivals who become friends thing. Uh, you know, there's obviously some intrigue as to what Adam Cole is going to do, but it feels pretty obvious that he's just going to try to sucker MJF in here. And, uh, you know, there's different directions they could take it with. It just, I don't know. Well, how do you feel about MGF's title reign um, at this point? I wish there was more meat on the bone, but I one thing that's really helped me feel more positive about this title reign is the fact that we have the BCC elite stuff, because while his title reign can take a little bit of a backseat at times because of his inactivity, and they're starting to use more activity. He wrestled... He's wrestling on collision this week. He has made an appearance on rampage for the first time and they're starting to use him more and more. And I think the idea was that this summer he's going to do a lot more stuff. And I wish there was more, but I also get it. And it fits his character perfectly that there's not. So I'm a little torn. I, I think if I had to give his, his title reign a number at probably like seven and a half because the matches have been great. But you just feel an element of disappointment that they haven't done more with him. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, the Danielson thing was awesome. Um, The four pillars thing was the build was kind of mediocre. Uh, Match was good, though. uh, Quite good. And uh, now, I mean, he's had a a very good match, I thought. A very good TV match with Adam Cole. Um, and, but I don't know how I feel about the build to it. And uh, then there was a Tanahashi thing, which, I mean, he did a good performance in to get a pretty good match out of, you know, a badly broken down Tanahashi at this point, uh, rapidly aging. Uh, but still, like, I don't know. I mean, I think for a guy whose whole thing is, like, storyline, I, I don't know how I feel about um, this storyline, and I wasn't really a fan of the previous one. So, I don't, you know. Very, very interesting. Yeah. This whole thing is interesting. And then right after the Renee Paquette interview with Adam Cole, we got a commercial. And then um, we had the the stuff with Paquette confronting um, Moxley and Kingston. And Kingston, here is, here's the exact verbiage. Kingston's like, I got your back, back Mox, but you're with Claudio. Moxley, who cares about some Chikara BS between the two of you from years ago? And Eddie obviously cares. Renee yells, enough, Eddie. You better fix this. I'm done. 
I'm a little curious. What is Renee yelling at Eddie to fix the relationship with Moxley and make sure that they're good? Because obviously they've been friends for a long time, and we know that Eddie saved John Moxley from the exploding barbed wire death match. Like, what exactly is are they trying to save? Uh, that part was really intriguing to me. I, I assume their relationship, but I don't know. Uh, one thing I did really enjoy in this segment, by the way, was when uh, Renee yelled at John Moxley, and what I can only reflect uh, assume is the. M- truest reflection of real life in wrestling ever uh john i told you no more headbutts um i can't imagine what it'd be like watching your spouse do the stuff like every week uh that john moxley does um including those headbutts he did uh but yeah i mean the uh there's a lot of intrigue i think with uh the kingston storyline and uh what exactly they're going to do moving forward and how this is going to play out i have to assume that he and he and mox are going to have to have a match at some point directly, um, despite probably not wanting to in kayfabe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think this 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 to me is like a better version of what they're kind of trying to do with MJF on a regular basis of this uh, kind of storytelling. And uh, I don't know, I prefer this to uh, to what um, they are normally presenting, I guess, with with MJF. Yeah, it's. I'm I'm very curious to where this leads. Um, this is this is going to be interesting, and it leads into a trios match. What a ragtag group this is! This feels like a fire pro wrestling sim. AW International Champion Orange Cassidy teams with Keith Lee and El Hijo Del Vikingo versus the JAS's Daniel Garcia and 2.0 Matt Menard and Cool Hand Ange. This was good. Uh, it got a little sloppy at the end. Keith Lee was supposed to completely catch Vikingo um, and uh, on his shoulders and then do the swinging spot where he uses Vikingo's body as a weapon against the JAS. But Vic, um, Vikingo knocks him down and Lee just picks him up with a power bomb anyways and then does it. Yeah. Um, it worked out okay. I thought it, that didn't really bother me. This was fun. Daniel Garcia is going to become a star, and we've known oh, this for yeah. a long time. This new dance that he's got, tremendous. It's yeah. tremendous. It's snarmy. It's it kind of reminds me a little bit of Shawn Michaels. Did you kind of get where I'm going here? Yeah, yeah. I think with uh like the guy that can work very well, but also is a very cocky kind of heel. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's very good and it fits him perfectly. And I thought it was really cool. Um, what was it? The tag match where uh, his pants split open at the crotch. Yeah. I thought it was the perfect touch for that whole thing too, which which was great. But I gave this match four stars. It was fun. It was a great way to get guys like Keith Lee and Vikingo on the show. And if you didn't see the um, how they ended up forming a team that. Shivani said, Hey, best friends aren't available. Um, who are you going to team with tonight? And then he forms like Keith Lee says he'll do it. And then um, he ends up looking across and then just gives a, the lazy thumbs up to Vikingo and Vikingo does one back. And that's how they end up forming the team. Perfect orange Cassidy segment. Yeah, he's um, he is really great. 
the Orange Cassidy is. Uh, again, you could still argue he's uh, the AEW um, uh, MVP this year. Uh, guy is just having a fantastic uh, run with this championship. Yeah. Right after this, we had Hangman Page and the Young Bucks backstage. And Page said they had a trios open challenge tonight. Dark Order interrupts and John Silver says they want to accept the challenge. Evil Uno, you abandoned us for them and now you're sorry? Alex Reynolds, we were your friends when you were at your lowest moments. Tonight, we're your opponents. And this will happen in a couple of segments. What did you think of this? I Just I the angle it. or the, the whole thing? Do you just want to go ahead and talk about the match too? Let's talk about the whole thing because sure. the match itself was very good because, I mean, it's the elite. Dark Order, like, they're not a push act, Mm-mm. but it's all right now. Yeah, it's very good. Um, they're very good wrestlers. Like Johnny Hungy gets a lot of, um, it, it gets a lot of crap because I mean, he's just a little muscle hamster. But these dudes can work, and yeah. I mean, and they're flawed. They are flawed wrestlers. I think Silver, uh, he had a couple opportunities uh, like a year or two ago uh, to like get himself over and just did like very cringe humor that I don't think worked in a wrestling setting. Alex Reynolds comes across because he got over doing cringe humor on BTE. Yeah, but that's like a cult thing. And then uh, I don't know. It didn't work the way they did it. and then uh, with Alex Reynolds, he uh, I think he just comes across very generic in general. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a, a bad talker or anything, but like he just doesn't have like superstar charisma or anything. And Evil Uno is a good talker and not a bad wrestler, but you know he's got physical limitations in terms of age and weight. And um, you know he, he's best served at being in a tag team at this point in time. Um, you know, but like I thought this match was quite good. Um, I will say that they, I think that they could have had like a real, uh, like the dynamite dozen. I think they could have had a match that was up that high, high on that ranking, um, on my end. If this was not such a storytelling match where the story is, uh, Adam page feels bad, man. Um, I thought they pushed, they, they did that. The, the whole Adam page looks very sad about having to wrestle someone from the dark order kind of gimmick, uh, too much. Um, I, I thought they really kind of went over the top with him, like every couple minutes, just like having a mopey fi- look on his face. Um, and but the, I mean, the work in this was really good. The closing, like five minutes or whatever, was fantastic stuff. Uh, once everyone went wild, and uh, you know, I think this uh, the storyline of uh, Dark Order having enough with Adam Page. Uh, I'm intrigued as to where exactly it's going to go. And, uh, you know, I, I like this overall, I think. Yeah, uh, I liked it, but I'll be honest. I thought it was just a little too story heavy. Mm-hmm. I, I get the premise where they teamed with Dark Order for so long. They, they understand all his moves and they just kept countering it. I... Which was cool. I I did think it was cool. I thought it was just a little too overblown. I I I kind of and you know what this is probably just a me thing. I thought it made Paige look a little weak. Um, that he couldn't adjust himself to kind of counter what these guys were like that they knew that he didn't have a curveball for him. And I I really thought that that element could have played a nice role in this match. 
but they didn't do it. And I think that that took me out of it just a little bit. But like I said, that's probably just a me thing. And mm-hmm. I still gave this match. Uh, I think it was either four or four and a quarter. So I really liked it. It was a yeah, very four on this match. as well. Uh, but I wish the story of that was a little downplayed or Paige had a counter where he had something that they had never seen knowing Paige should have known that they knew everything he was going to do. He was with them for so long. Like that should have clicked in his head. And I thought it made Paige look a little weaker or not quite as smart that dark order was just like one or two steps ahead of him at all times. And I thought they should have had a curveball for the dark order in this sense. But that's probably just me nitpicking and I can live with that. And that could come down the road. But I, I, I thought they could have done a little more to make page look better in this sense. And they didn't. I think that's fair. Uh, I, I don't think that the, the real purpose of this match was for him to look good though, as much as, uh, you know, him uh, struggling with the whole, you know, obviously the internal uh, issues of having to fight his friends. Uh, but also, um, I think at this point in time, uh, it, you know, he's not a very good friend in kayfabe. <laughs> I think uh, the 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 Dark Order's right. He uh, kind of was crappy towards him, and uh, that's you know just the the deal. Uh, that's you know the storyline, I guess. Yeah. Um, right before this, um, and we, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit because we wanted to continue talking about the page and young bucks interaction and then go on in the match in between the segment and the match. We had Renee Paquette backstage with Sammy Kavir and Chris Jericho Jericho for the first time ever, just a few days ago at forbidden door, Chris Jericho and sting were in the ring together, but Jericho and sting should be on TBS sting. You wanted one more time with Chris Jericho sting tonight. You get your nightmare. I'm, I'm going to go deep inside myself. Let's bring out the pain maker sting. You know about being dark when your back is against the wall. You want to get dirty sting. Let's get dirty. Here's your chance sting. You get all the time you want with the pain maker. I thought this was great. Um, I loved that. He mentioned, he also mentioned in the context of this promo that Tony Schiavone be calling the match. And he thought that was just perfect because Schiavone was the voice of nitro. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously early on in nitro, you had like the separation of hours where you had Bischoff doing the second hour, Schiavone doing the first, but, Shivani is the voice synonymous with Monday Nitro. And I thought this was great. It set up the match. It got you just a little bit more excited. And for those who didn't know the history, I thought it laid things out in a really nice manner where it doesn't make you feel dumb, but it gives you just a quick premise. If you weren't aware of the, the past with both sting and Chris Jericho in WCW. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought this was a decent little promo. I, I'm not going to say like it was the best ever or anything, but yeah, it was good. It was solid. Yeah. And I think solid is the perfect way to go. Roderick strong meets Adam Cole backstage. And this is where we talked about that first segment with Cole and MJF strong told Cole not to trust MJF Cole agreed. And MJF comes up and it's like party time. And yeah, Cole's like, I got this pretty much. And, told Roddy love you and good luck on his match, which I believe is Saturday on collision. Um, mm-hmm. They did tape collision this week. So something to be mindful of. It will not be live. A couple of these collisions that they're doing can, will not be live. They will be taped. I don't know how much of that's going to be a trend or how much of it just because they're in Canada, yada, yada, bing, bang. But 
something to be aware of. Yeah, and I think the really important part of this segment is that, um, you know, uh, Roddy and Cole openly talking about how, you know, Cole is trying to trick MJF and how uh, and Strong brings up to him, don't you think he'll watch this back, you know, and see that you just said this. And, and then, of course, MJF comes in and acts like a goofball. Um, and, uh, you know, then immediately they're like, yeah, he's not going to watch this back, which I thought was kind of funny. And, you know, is setting up a storyline beat where he obviously does eventually watch it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, it's... It's going to be interesting to see how this continues to develop because they're going to blow up and then we're going to get a title match between them. Oh, yeah. And if Adam Cole is healthy. I kind of want him to win. I, I, I think he could be a really good transitional champion where you give him the belt for like a pay-per-view cycle and then he loses it and he gets like one title defense and then you kind of go on to the next guy. Maybe it's Moxley. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I would love for Kingston to win it, but at the end of the day, I think Kingston's uh eventual destinies beating Claudio for the ROH title. Yeah, this is, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And speaking of interesting, Fred Hollywood, Jack Perry. Oh my gosh. This was a, we got a lot to talk about with this segment. So let's start here. Let's start with the look. The look is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, he, he's got the douchebag suede jacket. He's got the, the Ray-Ban aviators. His hair's in a ponytail. He looks like he would have been on 90210 like his dad was. Like, I thought the look was great. You can obviously tell that it's got a Christian influence. Yeah, uh, he, he's dressed exactly like Christian did uh, in some of his heel promos recently. So, like, it's, it's an obvious nod, uh, which is a nice touch. Uh, I want to talk about this promo he cut. Um... I don't think this promo was good. I, I thought it was if we if I was writing it like a match, it'd be like a two star promo, which for me is like bog standard average. Um, there's nothing. Uh, I, there is nothing great about it, but it also I've seen bad promos, and, uh, mm-hmm. and and this is not one of those promos. It's just like this was a standard heel promo. Was it very WWE ish? You know, like let's talk to the camera and talk about how bad a person I am and how much I hate the fans. Yeah. But I mean, like it was fine. Um, I, I there's a lot of uh, reaction to it as uh, you know, as just awful. And I mean, I, I've watched, I've seen bad promos. I've seen a lot of bad promos in my time, and this was not that bad. Uh, it's very odd to to see that discussion because I mean, especially with the reaction to this episode of Dynamite, uh, take Cage Match for example. Right now, in there, it's like a seven point three three. And um, I, I guess I'm just higher on everything on this show than most people uh, by like a half star or so. But, you know, I thought this had like three notebook matches and a fourth that flirted with it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, to me, that's like a really strong TV show. And um, I'm kind of surprised by the, the, you know, not bad reviews it's getting, but the more like middling reviews it's getting. And uh, I don't know. This is very interesting to me. And I think the Perry thing... You know, Joe Lanza has this theory that every because Dynamite is typically a, a very good show, uh, what happens is every week there's one segment where people find the weakest segment and it's over discussed to death. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening with the Shaq Perry promo. Um, 
it what didn't it wasn't a highlight of the show or anything but it was fine and it set up a feud and it's it's just fine and it's okay to just say that the thing was okay you know it doesn't have to bounce between like the greatest thing ever and the worst thing ever you know this was just a hundred percent fine yeah I, I think he's gonna get more comfortable and he's gonna get better and better and better yeah and, and the obvious comp the obvious comp here is is Britt Baker you know when she turned heel initially yeah no, uh, I, will will Jack Perry get that comp? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Heel. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still um, it's still unclear if he will be able to accomplish that if he'll get comfortable with that. Um, but I mean, if he does, then obviously it'll be a grand slam. It'll be a great success for him. Uh, if it doesn't, then he's not going to be a main eventer. You know, this is making break time for him. I think it's very important, and there's no guarantees here. Um, and if, if his performances are going to stay at the level of, you know, Wednesday night, then he will not be a main eventer. Um, he just won't have the ability to talk, uh, at the level necessary to be that. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, there's, it's going to take time for him. And, uh, this, these next three months are going to be him getting the time to show that and to develop that. I think the fact that he wasn't a disaster is objectively good for him because there is growth here. And when you've never really been a heel, that can be a tough transition. And I'm very intrigued to see how this goes. I think there is a ton of room for growth and potential here. As I, as I just mentioned, he looks like a douchebag with this new look. And I think that is incredibly important for establishing what the character is. How can he grow from that? I think he needs to spend more time with Christian. Go live at Christian's house. Talk with Christian eight hours a day about being a heel douchebag. Christian's so good at it. If you can absorb at least 25% of it, Jack Perry could be a main eventer. We all know Tony Khan thinks he's going to be. And he's being pushed uh, really hard as far as a guy who's really not getting a push at all. Like he's being relatively protected. If you can make this work, you have another star in your hands. And I'm very fascinated to see how it develops. Yeah. And um, I mean, there, there's just a lot up in the air for Jack and uh, you know, obviously it'll be great if he can reach it, but he, uh, he has work to do. Now, I think that the hook, you know, c- coming out to t- chase him down, um, I think that uh, was a pretty good part of the segment. Um, hook runs very fast, as you should probably expect for a former lacrosse star. Uh, and uh, Jack Perry uh, got away, but just barely. So, you know, just a basic angle, but I thought that played nicely off of the promo. Yeah, I think so, too. Next up, we had Ruby Soho, who was supposed to be wrestling Britt Baker here. She wrestles a local town, Alexia Nicole, and beats her pretty quick. But I think what was more interesting, she applied the lockjaw for the win and then cut a promo um, berating Britt Baker. And she mentioned, 
um, that like at Arthur Ashe, yeah, you said, I didn't know who I was, but honestly, I love who I am now, but do you, you're a shell of your former self. You're one of the hardest working people in the building, but do you have fans? Last year, you barely beat me in the finals on your best day. And since then, we have collectively taken every th- away everything that m- meant anything to you. Next week, I'm going to take away your chance to be the two-time Owen Hart Cup winner away from you. This was good. She also um, mentioned something about uh, how like the face turn and how that really didn't work. Um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I thought this was... It wasn't a great promo, but it accomplished what it needed to, and I think that's what's important. Yeah, it was fine. This was another one that was like the Jack Perry one. Like, this was absolutely fine. Um, it was not an all-timer by any stretch, uh, but it also wasn't a disaster. Like, it, this was another, like, average-ish promo uh, that I saw some people reacting to. Like, it was genuinely bad. Um, I, you know, I mean, like, you know, this did its job. Uh, I think the outcast in general work. I think... I, if I put the two promos against each other, I'd say the Ruby one was a bit better than the Perry one. Um, so this just did its job. It uh, advanced the storyline and uh, I think covered up for what was probably a late change of plans that they hadn't, uh, you know, uh, that was not what they had planned for uh, the illness, you know, causing them to change the booking on this. You know, it was fine. Yeah, it was main event time. Tornado tag team grudge match. The pain maker, Chris Jericho and the Spanish God, Sammy Guevara lose to Darby Allen and the icon sting where sting gets Chris Jericho to tap out with the scorpion Deathlock, And uh, obviously you have to use a sharpshooter in Canada. And I thought this was great. Odie, you're Odie. Okay. Dog, uh, man. Yeah. Odie does not like being cooped up in my office. So uh, he, he's only been in here for about 40 minutes. He's okay. Um, I thought this was good. And obviously the highlight of the match was Darby going up to the top of the ladder to hit sting with a, um, whatchamacallit, uh, coffin drop sting says no and does a splash. And that's where we think that, uh, he may have lost a tooth. This was fun. Um, yeah, he definitely busted his mouth open on that. So yeah, only like three and a half stars, but it was a fun three and a half stars and we're spoiled as hell by sting. Um, he should I be doing f- stuff, but he is. Yeah. I went four and a quarter on this. I actually thought this was really good. Um, just constant action. Uh, Darby, uh, in particular, Bacobara did a lot of heavy lifting here. And I thought it all worked well. I thought the the closing sequence between Sting and Jericho was a lot better. Because, I mean, I thought Sting may have been dead after that bump. Uh, not, not literally, but like he may have been injured and unable to continue. And... Um, he just got up and uh, had a decent uh, three-minute closing closing stretch with Jericho, and I thought it was great. My favorite spot in the match was when they Irish whipped Darby Allen into the stairs. He hits it knee first and flips over the guardrail. I thought that was it was a phenomenal spot. The fact that Darby was able to make that work was tremendous. I I loved it. Um, I I just I thought maybe I need to give it a rewatch and I'll go. I'd go higher, but I I just. It was a lot of action, but I think the mm-hmm. commercial break really hindered it for me. Odie, you're okay, buddy. You're okay. We're going to hang out downstairs soon. Um, yeah, this this was good. What a dog. Yeah, uh, this was a, a nice capper to uh, what I thought was a very good episode of Dynamite. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go over the schedule here moving forward. On Friday night's Rampage, which is tonight since we're recording Friday morning, 
Johnny TV, also known as Johnny Impact, Johnny AAA, all those other things. And QT Marshall versus Matt Hardy and Brother Zay. Sean Spears versus The Blade. Hikaru Shida versus Taya Valkyrie. And the ROH World Championships being defended as Claudio Castagnoli defends it against Commander. That'll be a fun match. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that one. Especially with what we saw him and Ray Phoenix do. Him and Commander will have some fun. Yeah. July 1st collision. MJF and Miro will be in action. Three matches in the Owen Hart Memorial Cup tournament. Dustin Rhodes versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Juice Robinson versus Ricky Starks. And Roderick Strong versus Samoa Joe. Along with, this is an interesting one. Chris Stantlander versus Lady Frost for the TBS Championship. I think Lady Frost is interesting. Yeah, I don't, she's got something. I think she's got talent. And I, I'm excited to kind of see how she does in the stage. Then July 5th, Dynamite. Blind Eliminator Tournament. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland versus Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy. Britt Baker versus Ruby Soho in the Owen Hart Memorial Cup Tournament, which was the match that was supposed to happen this week on Dynamite. And then this just got announced on Thursday. Kenny Omega versus Wheeler Yuta. Let's go. That should be awesome. Uh, I think Yuta is definitely going to be a guy, like a top of the card guy for a while now. Um, or for a while moving forward. And once it's time to pull the trigger on really elevating him. And uh, I think this will be a big part of that because he did get the pinfall on Omega in a six man tag a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, this is a uh, really cool stuff. I think. Yes. Uh, was it a six man tag? No, it wasn't. Uh, oh, wait. Um, Double or nothing was a six man tag, wasn't it? Or was uh, it eight man? Because double or nothing is where you'd have got the pin. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, it was double or nothing, I think. Okay. But yeah, that was that was great stuff. Um that's our show, Fred. An, yep. Another really good week of AEW. And yeah. I'm 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 excited to see how this everything continues to grow because this summer is honestly, and maybe it's a little bit hyperbolic. I think this is this is the biggest like three four month period in the company's history. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a really interesting time, and uh, I mean, so far they're doing very well on the uh, big big uh, stage, and I think their TV numbers, as far as attendance are uh, coming around, the ratings are fine, uh, pretty good, you know, relatively speaking, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a promising time for AEW. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, in the meantime, you can find the show on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can email us at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can also find us in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Forno. All my Vikings work is at USA Today's The Vikings Wire um, and Vikings First in Skull on YouTube. You can find Fred at Flagrant Wrestling because Ted Turner rules. And you can also subscribe to his currently paused Patreon, which is in the show description. Um, When he comes back with stuff, it is going to be a much more analytical based look at professional wrestling. High recommend you check that out. Thank you for very much for listening. Please like subscribe all the things and have a wonderful 4th of July. Yeah. Happy holidays, everyone. Take care. Have a good one. My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungy AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. 
We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voice of Wrestling Network.